What up, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 179 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with my friend Jamie Thomas. Jamie was my housemate back in Nicaragua. You might remember him from episode 59. I brought him back on the show because in episode 59, we talked about Jamie searching for community, searching for a place. He finally feel like he really connected to the place and the people. And this episode, I brought him back on to talk about joining that community and really making a life for himself, planting roots in a very rural community in Nicaragua called El Tambo. I thought it would be a great opportunity to give you guys perspective on a lifestyle that people are choosing to design for themselves in Nicaragua in places similar to Nicaragua, where they're giving up a lot of what people consider creature comforts in America for a way simpler life, a way more fulfilling life in their eyes, which to some people is uncomprehendable. Really enjoyed this conversation with Jamie. Like you hear me talk about in the episode, it just I'm so intrigued by this aspect of people's lifestyle design where they give up, you know, what a lot of people perceive as living this idyllic life in America for something way simpler. So I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. If you're a first time listener, please hit that subscribe button. If you like this story and would like to share it with somebody, you know, please feel free. Jamie and I would appreciate that. And if you want to rate it and comment on it in the show notes or on whatever podcast player you're listening to this on, we appreciate that too. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Jamie Thomas. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. Right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I'm joined by Jamie Thomas from episode 59. Jamie, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Chapin. Yeah, brother. Good to hear your voice. How are you doing today? Uh, Yeah, I'm doing good. Just came down to Gigante from El Tambo, where I stay, and Sunday, so it's going to be a busy day down here, but... Looking forward to it. So the audience, uh, just to remind the audience, so Jamie came on uh, for episode 59, which was at least two years ago. Um, He was my housemate in Nicaragua, so we spent a lot of time together. And we brought him on to kind of just talk about, you know, community and finding a tribe, finding community where for the first time, I think both of us felt like we had fit in, you know, down in Nicaragua, Gigante to be specific. Um, Jamie's chosen to make a life for himself down there where he's now living in El Tombo, which is a little Pueblo close to Gigante, um, building a house for himself. And I brought him back on just to kind of take the audience through what, what, what it's really like to live in a third world country, build build a house, make a life for yourself. And, um, I thought it would be a very cool, authentic, organic conversation to have to give some perspective. So that's why I brought him back. So Jamie, can you talk a little bit about your decision to, not reside in Higante, which is right on the beach on a beautiful bay and kind of move yourself more inland. What are you inland about? You know, two miles off the Uh, coast, five miles. Yeah. 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 I think it's like four or five kilometers. So right around there. And yeah, I don't know. It was kind of an, um, process and thinking about where I wanted to be living and, um, thinking about the kind of life I wanted. Sometimes tourist places don't always feel the best to me. 
um, just because there's a lot of coming and going. And I'm also very interested in the local culture here, the local community and how the people live here. Uh, and El Tambo is kind of a farming community and most people are family one way or another there. And uh, I was lucky enough to um, get to know a family that have a farm there and they, they were kind enough to let me stay with them. And over that time staying with them, I got more comfortable in the community and just decided maybe I'd be happy there. So. I'd like to paint the picture in a little bit more for a little, a little bit more in depth for the audience because you know you talk about touristic places, people coming and going, which you know people might jump to the conclusion that you're in a super populated place like Acapulco or Puerto Vallarta or you know Hawaii, Honolulu. Um, to give a perspective, it's like Gigante is a place of 500 locals, roughly, um, you know, max maybe 30 expats. At one point during the peak before the politics in Nicaragua kind of scared tourism off, you know, we would get on average daily or weekly, you know, uh, the amount of gringos coming through. What would you say, Jimmy? Like 100 gringos would come through town per week, maybe? Yeah. Tourists? Yeah. It was definitely when it was busy and kind of popping, it was kind of on the backpacker trail um, and sort of a known place. But it's, it, I mean, Gigante is great. I love Gigante and it's definitely a real community. Um, lots of people um, living here with not much to do with tourism um, and locals and expats running their businesses that try and cater to tourists and locals, I'd say. But I also do think tourist places are sort of fraught with conflict. Um, and that's kind of the part of that conflict would be the needs of the, or the wants, desires of the people that come and then the, what the community needs and, you know, expats versus locals and you know, Nicaragua is not a place with a lot of zoning or a lot of forethought into things like water or development, uh, whereas El Tambo feels a lot more settled, I guess. Yeah, I think the point I'm trying to illustrate, because I had the same feeling at one point, which I articulated to somebody who just kind of gasped at my need to get out which was you know it's getting too crowded which it sounds like it felt the same to you and from a lot of people's perspective when they stumble in gigante it's like idyllic it's perfect it's small there's not many people <laughs> yet for you and i it was just like too many people too many tourists too many uh gringos residing there and um i was at times feeling overwhelmed which it sounds like you did as well so you went further you know you know, further afield, deeper into the Campesino areas where you now have found a place where literally you are the only expat, the only gringo. And this is what I love about Misfits and Rejects and people like you and personalities like you. It's like you're continuously searching for the place you feel most comfortable, where you feel you fit in the most. And you are literally now in a place where you are the only gringo amongst how many Nicaraguans? Yeah, probably like... 500 there's there's one other gringo there a guy that married a local girl and he's got a house in iguana but they also have a house in el tambo and yeah i mean it is funny to think about feeling more feeling like i belong better or that i'm happier in a pretty kind of foreign foreign place what do you think that is like what about that is so desirable to you and your personality and what you need out of uh, My guess would be that 
I've never felt uh, a strong sense of belonging or community or I'd say acceptance in the places I've lived in America, I'll say. Um, I've always felt like an outsider or a misfit. So that part of it doesn't, isn't hard. You know, it's normal. <laughs> it's kind of normal to be the odd one out or feel like the odd one out. Um, and then, um, and then on the plus side, you know, I'd say it's interesting. I, I really, what would I say? I, I feel comfortable or sympathetic to the, the people's values, um, and how they get along and, um, their problems and their, their, um, joys, you know, their happiness, how they find happiness and feel kind of, you know, one thing I think about Nicaragua is it's not, it's like the least uptight place you could ever, ever imagine being. People are pretty, um, you know, they'll have their opinions and they'll do what they do, but there's not a, there's not a whole lot of judgment. There's not a lot of manners and customs. And, uh, I think about, I spent a lot of time in India and India is poor like Nicaragua, you know, and people live, live real, um, basically. Um, but India is very mannered, you know, very cultured. I don't want to say uptight because that doesn't sound quite right, but you know, there's a lot of rules and layers of things that you're never going to really understand. Yeah. And that's one of the motivating factors for me to bring you back on was to talk in more depth about some of those layers, which through our conversations over the past few years, you've, divulge just some of the things you've um, seen observed because you are you have really injected yourself into this community I mean you live with a local under local conditions meaning like the house that you live in is very rural I mean it is a brick house but I mean it's got a tin roof um, and the things that you've described are such that like from a first world perspective you know contracts for example we have signed contracts in America that I agreed to do something for Jamie and in return, Jamie pays me money where down there in your community, the verbal contracts are equally as strong as a signed contract. In fact, a signed contract really means nothing to these people. Um, can you talk a little bit more about some of these values and some of these things that you are attracted to that you feel connected with that you've observed that, you know, from a first world perspective are just, completely out of uh yeah the thing that i i think about most uh isn't so much the the contract or the sort of legal framework but it's it's more that in in a small place uh, especially a poor small place where people you know aren't um hidden away in their big houses and moving around in their cars all the time you're really known for who you are um, for better and worse. And, um, and I think that's part of the reason those verbal agreements are so strong and meaningful, uh, here because, uh, people live together, um, and they rely on each other. And, and even if they don't, they still have to get along and they're going to see each other every day and, um, their kids are going to go to school together or, uh, and so, um, feeling like I can be known for 
who I am uh, and how I how I behave in the world and what I do rather than how I present or, um, you know, my online profile or the car I drive. Not to say those things don't matter here, but people have a much fuller context of someone because they see everybody at their best and their worst, you know, if you go to the bar, they know, um, you know, they know who you're dating and uh, they're very gossipy for better or worse. And that's um, comforting to me, not so much the gossip, but the just that um, kind of is what it is. And there's, there's really nowhere to hide in a sense. How do you think they perceive you if you were to, Give us your best guess on how do the locals in your community look at you, Jamie? In my opinion, you are the only gringo because the other dude probably spends most of his time in Iguana. But what do you think they think about you when they see you walking down the street? Uh, my guess is it's various depending on the person. And, you know, I don't – I haven't felt any kind of much negativity. Um, but at the same time, I'm sure um, – you know, as a as a gringo, you're you're someone with money. Um, you're someone with options and resources, which are things a lot of these people um, don't have a lot of. Uh, and hopefully, they see me as someone uh, you know, not just passing through or trying to come and how to say it. Um, I don't want to say take advantage, but what what you see a lot of is people come here and they want to recreate or create a life here based on the life they know in the state. And so it's here, it's like, Oh, I can have a house cheaper. I can be right on the beach. Um, you know, I can travel back to the States when I need to, uh, I can have air conditioning I can have whatever, but, uh, hopefully they'd see me as somebody who wants to be part of the community. Um, and someone who's taking the time, you know, or yeah, taking the time to put down some roots. You are somebody taking the time. And I'd like to, again, keep going deeper and deeper. Cause I, I'm not, I'm the most fascinated by this, I guess. I hope the audience is as well, but you know, you live with a family, a couple um, in their house. And like I described earlier, it's a brick house, but I mean, it's very rural and simple. What's that, like living in you know somebody's house who i mean jamie you used to work on wall street like you've seen the wealth in america you're living in a couple's house with with their average income you know per month what do you think it is like less than five yeah i i don't know yeah i have no idea um but it is it's real rural you go outside to go to the bathroom the shower is across the yard um it's an open house so um you know, there's bats in the bedroom at night, um, flying around and, um, uh, it's real windy right now. So there's dust, you know, a lot of dust blows into the house. You leave a book on the table by the afternoon, it'll have a little layer of, um, dust, uh, wood fire. They also have a gas stove, but they cook a lot on the wood stove and, um, yeah, it's real. So the house is No, the kitchen. The kitchen is full of smoke sometimes, but they're good with their fires. They don't make smoky fires. They, they, they get the right wood and they build a good fire. 
See, like that nuance, getting the right wood is something that interests me. Interests me. Like they have an understanding of nature, obviously, what wood is going to burn the right way for what they need to accomplish without, you know, filling the whole house with smoke and cooking the most efficiently. And so on a daily, what kind of things are you observing? Like, the, for example, the couple that you live with, their interactions, they're an adult couple. What are they? Yeah, like they're about the same age as me. They're um, early fifties. Um, and they got, they have two kids and who are growing. Yeah. Grown. Uh, one of the daughter lives with them, lives with, lives in the house. And the son has a family and lives nearby, but works on the farm every day. And do you see them like exchanging loving hugs and kisses? And like, are they a couple that fights? I mean, you're living with them. What is it like? Yeah, they they really get along. Uh, this one surprising thing about the culture here, um, I'll call it the romantic culture, is there's not a lot of displays of affection. Uh, you don't really see husbands and wives kissing to say goodbye or you don't see a lot of holding hands or uh, that stuff's kept pretty private, but they, they get along. And one of the things that's really been amazing for me is how little awkward times have been for me living with them, you know, just feeling like, uh, you know, I haven't had the sense of, whoa, this is, this is something heavy or I don't know what's going on here. Or I, <laughs> I shouldn't be part of this. <laughs> um, and it's a lot of work. You know, I think there's always, um, there's always stuff to do. Uh, I remember being on wall street and the, the guy I worked for, he was, he was from San Diego and we all worked in New York and uh, he uh, he wanted a real small shop and he wanted everybody to be real busy. And part of, part of his thinking for that was that if you're real busy, there's going to be a lot less arbitrary or created drama, you know, a lot less um, kind of conflict or political angling or things like that. Um, and kind of see it here. People have, people have stuff to do and they need to get on with it. So. So there is some truth to that. If you keep people busy enough, they actually stay on task and don't create their own drama and unnecessary sort of bullshit stimulus. That's what I'm proposing. That's my, <laughs> that's my, uh, that's my guess. Um, they understand what, what's going on way better than I do, you know, both interpersonally between all of them. Uh, and then also in terms of the work that needs to get done what's a concern, what's, you know, what's a hope, what's a problem. And they've got, you know, it's a dairy farm. So every morning those cows got to get milked and then they've got to get taken to grass. The calves have to get separated. You know, they have to, they have to give them their vaccinations. They have to spray them for ticks. You know, there's the pigs, there's the chickens, there's the weeds. Um, they're just repairing the fences cutting firewood, um, growing the, growing, they grow corn and beans and here what they call guineo, which is platano or plantain. It seems real functional, I'd say. Um, now, do you, I know you participate in these daily sort of activities of net needing to go out and deal with the cattle, separate the calves. Is this in exchange for your room or do you pay them rent? No, nothing was, when I first moved in, I asked Guadalupe if I, you know, 
what can I pay or how, how can I pay to, to stay here? And she didn't, she didn't, um, she didn't want me to pay. And so what I try and do is just help, you know, if, uh, I just try and be a good member of the household. Um, uh, you know, sometimes I'll buy food or if she needs a, if somebody needs a ride, I try and be available. I try and make, make them a priority. I try not to take them for granted. I try not to come home real late and I try and be up early with them. Um, so I kind of look at it as she was kind enough to kind of make me part of the family or let me be part of the family. And so I'm, I want to try and be a good part of the family or a good member of the household. I'd love this. Thank thank you for being so open and candid about this because this is what I'm always trying to get across to people in conversation through this podcast is the generosity and kindness in most third world countries is like this. You can walk into a person's home and they feed you, they house you, and they genuinely want nothing in exchange for the most part. You definitely do have situations where they're hoping that I mean, maybe he'll marry their daughter or something like that. But, but for the most part, this it's it's unbelievable with the amount of resources that we have in the Western world and the amount that they have down there that they are so willing to just be so accommodating and helpful with so little. Yeah. Can we talk to the audience and and just help them understand like? Because I think there's people listening right now who are just going, Jamie, like you're totally taking advantage. Like you got to do something for these poor people. Like you got to help them out. You got to like get them clothes or you know help them you know elevate themselves within you know the social or financial structures of their community. Like why aren't you helping more? Can you talk to that person and explain like more in depth like what this is really like or how? I don't even know what I'm trying to get at. I yeah. guess. Yeah. I can try. Um, I mean, what I think of is helping someone is a lot harder than it may seem. Uh, I think their, uh, I think their generosity, uh, like you said, it is all over the third world. And I think it's really genuine. Um, and at the same time, uh, with that generosity, there might be other things, you know, they might want, they might be hoping to make money or hoping that you'll marry their daughter or who knows what, but it doesn't change the genuineness of their generosity and their, uh, their friendliness and their just basic human caring. And then um, one of the things that's really served me well here in Nicaragua. And uh, I feel like not everybody approaches it this way. Uh, but is um, not trying to improve anything, not trying to really change anything, but more trying to uh, accept what I see and learn from the people here, learn from how they live or how they get along or how they find fun with their limited resources. And... Uh, it's really been freeing because I don't, I don't have a lot of, um, judgment, you know, so I'm not angry. I'm not critical of this person or that person or, you know, 
why the coffee is like it is or um, why, why the dishes are like they are. I don't know what, what it would be, but um, it's um, just trying to accept, accept it for what it is and um, be a part of it rather than trying to improve it or put my stamp on it or um, make it, make it different. Cause I think that's a real hard thing to do. And a lot of times people come with good intentions and then they end up creating problems or can't follow through on their, their ideas, or their goals. So I don't know if that yeah, Mar- answered. It's great. And I love, I love the way you answered that. Mara talks a bit about that in a previous episode where she's been in the community down in San Juan del Sur for 15 years now. And she has relationships that a lot of, I think other gringo do-gooders, if you will, who come down and really want to be of service to these people, have all these grandiose ideas, how they're going to change the community and elevate these people's living situations. And they can't understand why she gets to have these personal relationships with people. And she articulated so eloquently that it's because I don't lie. And the woman was like, well, what do you mean? I don't lie either. She's like, well, you tell them you're going to do all this, but odds are you're not going to last very long here. And she was super blunt and just straightforward. It's like, these people have been hearing this for years, you know, people coming down with all these ideas of how they're going to help the community. And then they're into it for maybe six months to a year. And they realize how really hard it is to change a mindset of people or change a culture. And they get robbed. And now they're really upset because right. they came down with all these good intentions and now they're out of there, you know? And yep. um, so I think the way you just described it was just so articulate and perfect. Just being a part of it and doing your best to help in a way that is going to help their just daily efforts, whether it's, you know, helping them milk the cows or helping them fix the fence or uh, whatever you do on a daily that is helpful is more beneficial under these circumstances. Obviously there's other ones where it's like helping them get clean water could be very beneficial if that was a need. Yep. Um, But yeah, thank you for that. As, as far as the fun aspect, because you alluded to the observing the kind of fun they like to have and, what kind of things do the people around you do that's fun for them uh, on the daily or yeah what i what I notice the most is um how much fun they have just personally interacting um they my Spanish still isn't good enough to really get the jokes and pick up on all the subtlety, but there's um they have really great senses of humor or their sense of humor is really deep and rich. Um, they, um, uh, they all, where I stay, they all know each other. Um, they, they just visit and joke and gossip and share stories. And, uh, that's something that's been really kind of impressive. And, uh, I don't, maybe a surprise. Yeah. I didn't realize how, how great their, their sense of humor and how much they just enjoyed uh, joking and um, uh, talking uh, and laughing and that, all that kind of stuff. They, uh, yeah, they don't they don't do a lot. You know, they don't they don't have a lot of resources. They love their phones. Um, they love they love being on their phones, watching TV. Um, uh, they like a they like a party. You know, not necessarily a drinking party, but like a birthday party or um, they like getting together and sharing food. Some people are really into church, but I don't know. It's not real. It's not, it's not things that are very 
you know, their, their fun isn't, you know, these uh, bucket list experiences, you know, it's not climbing the mountain or catching the giant fish or, um, you know, seeing the amazing concert. It's much more mundane than that. And, um, and that's something that I'm, uh, like I mentioned before, that's both interesting and, uh, I guess, admirable to me or something I want to learn, learn about, try and emulate. Now you've lived with them for what, one year, two years? Yeah, year plus, at least. And you fell in love, obviously, with them and the town that you've chosen to buy a piece of property off of them and build your own house, correct? Yep, that's that's where we're at. And so I'd love now the audience to understand that process of, one, purchasing the property from these people and how that was decided because they have a decent amount of property and then what, what lot was for sale and how did you negotiate a price, especially with your limited Spanish? Um, and then how have you gone about sourcing workers, getting the resources to build? Like how's that process gone for you? It's, that's been a, it's been a great process. Um, I'm still in the middle of it and it's not all, uh, concluded. Um, but, uh, basically, it was um, thinking I might want to live in that community, that it might be, uh, you know, knowing it from these horse events that they have that I've, I've been to to photograph. And for it being uh, close to Higante, where a lot of people who work in Higante are from that community. So having some knowledge of it and then um, staying, renting a house there to stay there for, staying there for like four or six months to get to know it and then getting to know Guadalupe and Don Carlos better, the family I stay with, and then moving in with them, and then thinking about the kind of property I might want. You know, like, do you want a lot of property? Do you want to be um, in the community, or do you want to be uh, more uh, secluded, you know? Um, and, uh, and over time... Uh, I'd heard that Guadalupe had a lot that her dad had given her uh, there in town that she uh, that she wanted to sell. Uh, I didn't really think much of it because I wasn't thinking at the time that I wanted to live in the right in the community. But then, then eventually, I got to see the lot and uh, liked it. You know, it was it's flat and shady. It's got big trees. It's got a well. It can connect to the potable water that the town has. Uh, and over time, I, I felt like I would be happier in the community with neighbors. Um, partly that's um, a security or safety thing, but also knowing or learning that I really like that kind of social um, environment, you know, where you're not, not like you have to be best friends with somebody, but they're still your neighbor and you see them every day and, um, you help them out when you can and they help you out and um, just kind of um, you have lots of social relations without, you know, without having to find all this common ground. The common ground is that you're all part of the community, I guess. And then a huge thing has been the support and the, the help with building the house, you know, because that's a very different and confusing process. So um, help getting good prices, help getting good people to work. Uh, all that's been really 
again, interesting and a learning, big learning experience. When it comes to the building, I mean, a lot of listeners are probably thinking, you know, Western style house. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, the, the materials you're using and, and describe, I'd like to put a picture in the show notes for people to kind of get an idea. I think you've already posted one, but, um, what's the layout going to be? Yeah, sure. It's, um, you know, I was pretty clear that I just wanted a typical house. Um, affordability was, is a big deal. Um, and I wanted something that would be comfortable, but also small. And, um, and so when I was thinking about the house I wanted, I was mostly thinking about the doing it in the common ways that they build here. Um, and the most common where I am is uh, wooden pillars, they call them. So um, wooden supports for the roof. And then you connect those pillars with brick wall. Um, so it's a tin or metal corrugated roof and then um, brick walls and then uh, concrete or ceramic, which tile floor. And yeah, it's real, real basic, you know, like getting the pillars. It means finding the trees um, that are the right wood. You only want certain a few kinds of wood for the pillars and then, you know, no cement mixer. All the cement gets mixed by hand. They do a cool thing with hoses. They'll take a long, long piece of hose and they'll fill it with water and they'll go to two ends and to, to make sure it's level because the water will rise to the same spot on either side of the hose. So like if you want to find a level spot on a wall um, that's, you know, 25 feet apart, you, you hold that hose up on one side till the water gets to the, the spot you want and mark that and then get it on the other side, get the, get the water the same. And that's going to be level. So it's a clear hose. You can see through it. Yeah. You can see where the water is inside. So it's real, real basic, you know, real hand, uh, labor intensive, you know, pulling out a stump with the oxen, um, you know, digging, digging around the, all the roots and, uh, cutting, trying to cut it free and then digging up the roots so that the, they didn't rot away and the ground didn't sink and chopping all the weeds with machetes. And, um, interesting. Do you mind sharing a little bit of, uh, cost wise, like how this, how much this whole endeavor is costing you, like from the purchase of the property to now the building of the house, like how much did the property cost? Um, yeah, I guess I'd rather not say. Uh, I, I can give some ranges. Um, the With property, there's a whole variety of costs. Or huh, that's not said very well. Um, uh, it's not clear what, what any given property is going to cost um, because a lot depends on who's buying it, what they're buying it for, and the economy here has been in such flux with the you know, the political protests that happened a couple of years ago and then the, um, the fall in tourism. And then I think there's been, you know, America's tried to make it hard for Nicaragua to, to do business or close, maybe America's closed their markets to Nicaragua. I'm not sure, but the economy's down here and there's a lot less people buying and selling property. A campesino kind of house, could be anywhere from 
10,000 to 50,000 with some to, land. To well, with the land, but it so much depends on how you do it and the, the choices you make, how much kind of fit and finish you want, but how, in a sense, how fancy or comfortable you want it. Um, the people here, when they build a house, they start with the roof. Uh, they'll do, and it's going to be small, you know, maybe one or two rooms. They'll do the wall. They'll do half the walls. They'll probably finish them with um, black plastic and they'll move in. And then when they can get, get some more money, uh, they might finish the walls. They might add a door. They might add a window. Um, then when they get some more money, they might pave the floor. Then they might add a room. Um, so here for, for themselves, they're used to doing it real cheap. And then in terms of cost of land, you know, you definitely pay, pay a premium to the closer to the coast you want to be. And then how, how close to sort of the paved road or some, some towns, you know, like on the road between here and Ochomugo, as you go further and further, I think that land up there, Barrio Nuevo, and La Hall, Remate, those places land is really cheap. Um, uh, whereas here, um, there's a lot more people who want, want to buy this land. So, yeah, no, thank you for that. Yeah. So the range is roughly between, you know, depending on how rugged you want to be 10 to $50,000 for, you know, a plot of land that is what, like half an acre. Yeah. Um, half an acre to an acre. And, um, that could include the house depending on the house, house you want to build. Also depending on how, how well you can source everything, you know, like how well you can find people to build the house, how well, how well you can buy your materials. All those things are places where there can be a lot of slippage. You know, having people helping me has been real, real valuable for me in terms of um, knowing, knowing the processes, uh, knowing the typical ways people structure, structure the agreements or, you know, uh, do the labor. Uh, so like I'm hiring the, the people to do the work and then I'm buying all the materials myself, which means I have to go and find the bricks or, um, uh, you know, find the roof or all that stuff. It's not like turnkey where somebody gives you a bid and you say, Oh, okay. Uh, but ultimately I think that's cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of people listening might be going, God, Jamie, you're crazy. Aren't you worried about, you know, your property getting taken from you by the government? What would you say to them? Uh, yeah, I'd say yes, I am. Um, (laughs) but, um, uh, but also, you know, I might have the same worries in America, you know, not necessarily taken from me by the government, but I can't pay my loan back. I could lose my, I could lose my house. Um, uh, so yeah, I see it as a risk and don't really, don't really know how to, how to handicap it. Um, you know, don't have a real clear answer on that. You know, one thing I'm trying, trying to do is, well, one thing I imagine is that it wouldn't just happen overnight. Um, it could, but it probably would be sort of a process where you'd hear about this happening to this person or that something happening to some other person. And one thing I, um, concluded was that it was, 
more safer to build a more Nika style house, you know, that you'd have a better chance of at least losing less on if you had to sell it in a hurry, um, or at least you'd have less sunk cost. And I also think, you know, life's a bit of a leap of faith. You know, you got to take chances. You don't always know how they'll turn out. Um, yeah, it's a concern. It's, it's a thought. One more question about the house and your living situation once this is built. You know, you, you mentioned having a well on the property. Does this mean, you know, you're going to be walking out to fill buckets up to shower in? Are you going to have an um, electric pump running to the well to pump water into your house? Are you going to have a tower that you're going to pump water up to to gravity feed water into your house? How's that going to work? Yeah, so the plan right now is there's a big guanacaste tree that I want to cut down. And they tell me we can use that for the water tower. Uh, the property will have uh, electricity. Um, so I'm going to get a pump uh, in the well, pump water up to the tank, and I'll use that well water for showering, um, the toilet, uh, watering, you know, watering plants in the yard. And then I'll connect to the... El Tambo is fortunate enough to have uh, potable water to all the houses. They did a water project about a year and a half ago with an NGO called Living Water, where Living Water put up a third of the cost and the, the mayor you know, or the county government put up a third and El Tambo raised a third. So they have good, clean, piped water to all the houses. Um, so, yeah, that's the common, common way they do it. Um, right now we are using the, the five-gallon bucket and the little the little wheel to haul up the water for to mix the concrete or do things like that. So describe that just to the audience so they get what you just said. When you say little wheel and a five-gallon bucket, how does that work? You walk out to what a spigot that's sticking out of the ground, and you turn a wheel, and it slowly pumps water up into a five-gallon bucket? No, I didn't explain that very well. So the well is about three, five feet wide. You know, it's a round hole that goes straight down about five feet wide. And then there's uh, two the big fork sticks with another stick going across above the well. Um, so it's like a hanger, I guess. I don't know what you'd call that. but um, like So you're literally big... dropping a bucket into the well. Yeah, and then you, there's a wheel, you know, that the rope runs through. And you drop mm -hmm. the five-gallon bucket down into the well. It fills up with water, and then you pull on the rope and bring that bucket up and dump that bucket into another five-gallon bucket and take that to um, do whatever you want to do with your water. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. I mean, for a lot of the audience members are sitting here listening going, Jamie, you're in your 50s. This is what you're starting now in your 50s to a life for yourself You know, in a very rural community um, in southern Nicaragua. What are you thinking? You know, like, is this really what you're going to do for the next, until you, you know, are you, are you going to make yourself a part of this community until you get into your days or what? Yeah, I have no idea. But, um, you know, one thing, one thing that's, um, that I think about some, and I think it's important to, to keep in mind is, you know, the way we live and all those things that we think are necessary, uh, important, um, critical. Um, other people live differently and they're, maybe they're not necessary. Maybe they're not critical. And uh, to, to understand what 
what makes you happy or what you need in your life or um, uh, how you want to live isn't isn't so um, isn't so straightforward. You know, I think there's a lot of conditioning and a lot of a lot of ways we're influenced and um, and people here live rough. You know, it's, a lot of the houses have dirt floors and you know it's hot or it's windy or it's wet. Um, but living here for a while. I'm happier here. Um, and I don't know if it's like that backpacking experience where you go backpacking for 10 days and you complain every day about the food or the heat or the the sweat or the dirty clothes or whatever. And then, you know, you come back and you can't, you know, you can't stop talking about the trip or, you know, you keep remembering what a fun, vivid experience it was. So, um, you know, and I've heard other people on your program on Misfits and Rejects talking about that same, same kind of thing, how, you know, we live in these really particular and you could say strange ways, you know, um, that are all based on all kinds of stuff, you know, um, and it's not until you live in a really different way that you get any kind of perspective on it and have any kind of sense of, you know, what you do like or what you don't like or what, what makes you happy or what is important to you. Um, so I don't know what the future, you know, I don't know if I'm going to live here till I die or anything, but right now I'm, I do know I'm real, uh, committed to, uh, building a life here and, uh, really enjoying what this place, um, offers me and the way, the way that people treat me, the way, um, the way I feel here. You used a great word as you described that, which was vivid. And I could relate to that in that the experiences that I have in these places are so profound in my sensory system that I feel like I'm present and experiencing it to the fullest, you know, yeah, you described the wind blowing through your house and the dust everywhere. Like that's inescapable and you are there with it and it's either accepting it or yeah, or leaving because it's not going to change. And there is something that is so intoxicating, addictive, enjoyable in those moments because you are vivid. It's a vivid experience that you're living in the moment. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And it's in a sense, it's, you know, feeling, feeling alive and not that, you know, people in America or wherever don't feel alive or, or feel less alive or more alive. I'm not trying to say that, but I do think that, you know, when you have a very mitigated relationship with the world, when everything's sort of taken care of, when you, everything's climate controlled and, you know, your, your clothes come out of the washer nice and fluffy and um, the sheets are always clean and um, it's nice. It's great. Enjoy it. But, um, but at the same time, there's, there's a lot to be, said for you know getting dirty and uh uh getting bit by the bug or <laughs> or um having the unpleasant experience and then uh the pleasant experience you know that i get that from yoga philosophy how um you know life is suffering and part of the suffering is because things are always changing you know so um you know you can't have your cake and eat it too and uh, living a more basic existence is uh, has its 
has its charms, has its pleasures in a way that a more, um, that living in a kind of fancier way, uh, I think some of that gets lost. You know, as we close, what would you like the audience to really understand about you, your life decision now to live there, and what it could be like for anybody interested in maybe following in your footsteps um, and, and deciding to leave the Wall Street lifestyle for what you've just described in the last 45 minutes, a very simple rural lifestyle in a third world country with the beautiful people you're surrounded by? Uh, I'd say nothing. Um, I don't... I don't really want anybody to understand anything um, or I'm not advocating for any kind of change. Um, you know, I just say for myself, um, Nicaragua has been a real special place. You know, it's offered me, offered me something that I wasn't able to find or create for myself in America and um, that I feel a lot of gratitude to, to be here and to be, to be with the people, you know, to have the friends and the connections and to be doing what I am doing. You know, I guess the lesson for me is, you know, uh, what would I, how would I say it? Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, that maybe just that you have choices or options and the way things are, isn't the way things have to be. Um, but, to to, um, to, to change, you know, things have to change. You, if you keep doing the same thing, um, things probably aren't going to change. Beautifully said, Jamie. Thank you for your time. We love you. Uh, you're very welcome, Chapin. I love you too. Awesome, Jamie. Thank you so much for joining me. Always a pleasure to catch up with you. Looking forward to sharing a rum and beer soon down in Nicaragua. Please remember, folks, if you haven't gotten a Misfit and Reject t-shirt yet, you can head over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and pick one up. If you like Misfits and Rejects and you want to support Misfits and Rejects, you can do that via Patreon. Patreon's a platform for fans of Misfits and Rejects to go and give a monthly donation, whatever you want, $1, $2, $5. It's all appreciated. Nothing is expected. Please remember, I think you all are so very beautiful. I hope you all are doing okay in this trying time of COVID-19. And wherever this episode finds you, you are happy, healthy, and well. I look forward to seeing you in next week's episode. Take care. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.